Good evening, dummies. Episode 131. It is April 5th, 2021. Look at the time, 748. I didn't need to look at the day. Why? Because it is my 47th birthday. No, no. Don't let the music fool you. It is indeed my birthday. 47 years old. I am definitely climbing the ladder. You know what I really don't like? Is when people go on Facebook now and they say, it's my birthday. Donate to my local charity. It's my birthday. Here are some acceptable items like that I want, like like a, a, a birth registry or a wedding registry. Since when do we get to do that? I, I don't understand. I ask for things all the time for my birthday, and I wind up getting the same coffee mug every year. It doesn't make sense. It used to be ties. I could use a good tie, but really, you get to ask for what you want now? I, it just, just a, seems a little ostentatious to me. You don't have to get me anything. Like, shares, follow, subscribes, maybe. But that's about it. Tell me I'm doing a good job. Wish me a happy birthday. We'll call it good. I'm not a big fan of birthdays. I, you know, I'm becoming a Scrooge. I said I didn't like Easter. And honestly, my birthday is just like every other day. I've had 47 of them. There's no mystery. It's kind of like married sex. It's just is what it is, folks. You've seen all the moves. You know what's coming. Let's just get to it. Same thing with birthdays. You know, you're going to get a, a present here or there, and the family tries, and then they sing you happy birthday awkwardly, and it's cute, but alas, it wasn't a great day. And it wasn't a great day because my family didn't try. It wasn't a great day because I get some bad news about a friend of mine, and it's just kind of put a damper on the day. So, you know, you have good ones, you have bad ones, and overall, the good thing that I, I is consistent is that people reach out and say, Happy birthday each year. And it seems to grow each year. And, and that means a lot. So all my Facebook friends and the dummies out there that have said happy birthday, thank you. I appreciate it. But I still think it's wrong for you to ask for something on your birthday. Have you deserved it? Is there a naughty and nice list for birthdays? I don't think so. What the hell are we going to talk about tonight besides birthdays? Well, it's going to be a good night. We're going to talk about Joe Biden a whole bunch. There's some Gun legislation that's going to pass that he uh, is working with, and he sent out Jen Psaki to float the idea. We're also going to talk about these press conferences and the media bias that we've talked about plenty of times, but there's an interesting take on this. And really, we'll kind of look at Joe Biden as being one of the most progressive presidents already in Democratic history, and it's not getting any better. So let's buckle up for episode 131. Thank you again. Valor commercial. I got to see it today. It looks really good. Uh, can't wait to show it to you live. We're, we're going to do that. As soon as it airs, we're going to put it out to you too. I think you're going to be impressed. It looks really good. Also, the Strohs and the Avs play tonight, which is I am also excited about. So with no further ado, let's get to the joke. There is, oh, and folks, you're going to have to follow this one. This joke is going to take some creative thought. Remember when we watched the, the kid transitioning, the 10-year-old into being uh, 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 transsexual, you had to, what they said was be gender creative. Well, you have to be sexually creative in this one. You're going to have to let your mind go to make this joke work for you. So be sexually creative. Let your minds wander. It's not a sin. This is just a joke. It's good old-fashioned fun. There is a well-known assassin that charges $10,000 per bullet. A man discreetly approaches him at a local bar and asks, are you the guy who charges $10,000 a bullet? Yes, says the assassin. And the man says, well, what have you missed? The assassin smugly looks at the man and says, I don't miss. The man says, I have $20,000. I just found out my wife is having an affair with my best friend. 
right now. They're together at a motel. The assassin finishes his drink and says, let's go. They drive to a store across the street from the motel and climb up on the roof, and the assassin takes out his rifle and attaches the scope. The man tells him, they're in room 21. I want you to shoot her in the head, and I want you to blow his dick off. The assassin looks through the scope. He keeps staring for several minutes, hesitating to take the shot. The man says, what are you waiting for? Asked the husband. He goes, hold on a minute, said the assassin. I think I can save you $10,000. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. You see, folks, the assassin was waiting for her head to be in line with. Come on, it's not that hard. If you didn't follow, your sexual creativity is horrible. You need to read Kama Sutra or get a hold of Dr. Ruth. If you don't know who Dr. Ruth is, you're also too young to be watching this show. So knock it off. Welcome to Don't Unfriend Me, folks. Who am I? What do I do? My name is Matthew Spear. I am your host of Don't Unfriend Me. And every night or so, sometimes I skip. Don't judge me. I put out a new show around 930 Eastern, kind of more like 10 or 11. But either way, like I said, don't judge me. I do my best. I'm not getting paid for this gambit. And uh, we talk about things you might agree with, disagree with. We can argue. Maybe we don't argue. All I ask is that you don't unfriend me because opinions are a wonderful thing and everyone should have one. Here are my social tags. You can go ahead and follow me on Instagram or Twitter or YouTube, wherever you want. Speaking of YouTube, you can click right here and get the little red envelope and that will link you to my site. Subscribe there. You can also like, follow, share on Facebook. We've had some great uh, numbers for the last episode. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Please continue to do that. Share and like just throw a like on there. Even if you remotely like it, if there was just something I said you like, throw a like on or throw an angry face. It doesn't matter. Just tell me what you're thinking. Leave a comment. I love hearing what your thoughts are on the show. With no further ado, we should get into it and we shall right now. In looking at nearly $5 trillion in proposed spending in the Biden budget, we talked about this last night. He passes this infrastructure will be well over $5 trillion. And that's not even with balancing and keeping the budget open for next year. He's well on his way to being a $10 trillion president, which will surpass Obama and Trump. People are wondering what happened to the Joe Biden who ran for president by citing his 36-year record as a moderate dealmaker in the Senate. The answer is that at age 78, he has bought into the belief that he has only a little time to become a transformational president and leave a legacy of greatness. In Washington speak, that means adding to the size of government and ridding oneself of any notion you can spend too much money. Now, let's be honest here. This is a direct nod at President Obama. President Obama never thought Joe Biden could be president. He didn't even like him as vice president. He did it as most presidents do is to garnish votes and garner votes, excuse me, in the state where this person is popular, where these swing states can guarantee a victory with the vice president running on the ticket. It just makes common sense. And before, it used to be that whoever ran the Republican nominee or the Democratic nominee would become the vice president. Can you imagine what that was like in the Oval Office in those conversations? Hence why you never saw the vice president usually back in the day. 
unless the president was under some sort of investigation like Nixon and steps down or unfortunately when John F. Kennedy was assassinated or when the president can't perform their duties under the 25th Amendment. But this is the thing. Joe Biden obviously has had a race to the progressive and a race to the left because he wants to outdo President Obama. There's two reasons, not because he just wants to spend money with absolutely no checks and balances. It's the fact that in order for President Obama to come out for Joe Biden, which he didn't until the final three months of the election, Joe Biden was told, you will do this or else you will reinstate all of the policies that were destroyed by Donald Trump. The Iran nuclear deal, the climate change deal, border, blah, 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 blah. The whole new world order effort where we can actually take care of the globe versus taking care of the United States, which is ultimately what Obama did. Remember the apology tour? The point is, is that Joe is running to the left faster than any other candidate. As National Review editor Rich Lowry points out, bills in the Senate still require 60 votes to break filibuster. Filibuster is the rule where you need two thirds majority vote of the Senate in order to pass a bill. Much of what Biden wants will crash against that barrier, but there's an exception. He can pass his stimulus and infrastructure bills under budget reconciliation rules in the Senate that require only 50 votes. Thus, his stimulus and infrastructure bills will pass. Biden has also been bewitched by a parade of liberal court historians who have met with him. Their implied message because of his age, he's likely to be a one-term president, but he can still go down in history if he creates his own new deal or great society and uses executive orders to reform our entire immigration system and to redress income inequality. A key White House meeting with presidential historians and Biden took place on March 2nd. It was organized by John Meacham, the presidential biographer and sometime Biden speechwriter whom Axios calls Biden's historical muse. Others present, present were LBJ biographer Doris Kearns, Goodwin presidential biographer Michael Beschloss, y'all, uh, <laughs> y'alls, <laughs> obviously I didn't go to y'alls, y'alls university, everybody knows y'alls, it's wonderful, we have turnips every single day, we get to drink Jack Daniels, we build engines in the tub, we call it Automotive 101, Yale's Joanne Freeman, race scholar Michael Eric Dyson of Georgetown, Harvard's Annette Gordon-Reed, and Steve Jobs biographer Walter Isaacson, all are conventional progressives or leftists. Their discussion centered on just how much radical change a president could jam through in a short time frame. Beschlosh told Axios that FDR and LBJ were the closest analogs for the Biden era in terms of transforming the country in important ways in a short time. Biden peppered his visitors with questions about the expansive use of presidential power. Axios reported that he loves the growing narrative that he's bolder and bigger thinking than President Obama. <laughs> We're in deep trouble. <laughs> the man he served as vice president for eight years. The historian's views were much more in sync with his own. It is time to go even bigger. Time to go bigger, go home and build back better. And faster than anyone expected. If that means chucking the filibuster and bipartisanship, so be it. Indeed, the Hill newspaper reports that the White House wants to change how people perceive bipartisanship, arguing that if they put forward proposals that are backed by Republicans, they should be seen as bipartisan, even if GOP lawmakers in Washington don't vote for them. In a nearly Orwellian twist, Biden officials will argue that some of the ideas have been backed by GOP lawmakers in the past and that that should satisfy the need to reach out to the other side. See, they should be happy that they're being circumvented. 
An unspoken assumption at the historian's meeting was that everyone there believed that Biden doesn't have much time, although he told reporters recently that he plans to run again in 24. Not sure how. When he will be 82 years old, former Obama campaign strategist Davis Axelrod said last week that the odds of that are pretty remote. And I would agree. He's a one-term president. We know that. He's a transition president. People would have voted for Donald Trump if he could have been a little more humble. If he would have actually appeased the coronavirus shtick, but that's not him and it's not what he did. And ultimately, he lost the housewife vote and we flooded the electoral with 50 million votes that weren't asked for, which swayed it certainly one way because voting on your couch is a hell of a lot easier than getting up and going out and voting. Sorry, my sister called. I'm sure it was for happy birthday. That might happen a couple times tonight. Biden may think he's writing himself into future history books by emulating FDR's and LBJ's moves to expand government. But Amity Schles, a historian who who has written best-selling histories of the New Deal and the Great Society, says that they're misreading the record. Political success is not the same as economic success, she told me. Toward the end of their time in office, economic reality forced both President Roosevelt and Johnson to recognize this. As most politicians, especially Democrats, come in with all these ideologies, this is why during the primary and actually the national election are two different things. The primary, everyone moves to the left or to the right, but then they come more center when it comes to the national election. That's because they need the national vote and not just Democrats or Republicans, respectively. But this isn't what Biden did. Biden went to the left and is staying to the left. And really, it's the first time this has happened in history to this level. Roosevelt was able to pivot in his third term to fighting World War II, and that pivot served to obscure the disappointing economic record of his first two terms, and nobody really noticed because we were blowing shit up. Prior to World War II, that was the case. But Johnson found himself unable to pivot. He was already mired in Vietnam. And in the end, the failure of Johnson's great society forced him to retreat into smallness and plead for austerity, a policy that was the opposite of his grand goals. In a speech on March 18, 1968, Johnson warned that many needed actions would have to be postponed by cuts to the budget. Doesn't this sound familiar? I ask all of you to join in a program of national austerity to ensure that our economy will prosper and that our fiscal position will be sound. I am consulting with the Congress now on proposals for saving in our national budget in non-defense, non-Vietnam, and other items all across the board. For his part, Roosevelt originally proposed his New Deal because, as he explained in his infamous inaugural address of 1933, our greatest primary task is to put people to work. Yet while unemployment in the 1930s did drop, the average unemployment rate in FDR's first two terms before the war was just below 15%. COVID numbers. Eight years into his presidency, unemployment still stood at 14%. Today's unemployment rate is less than half that, 6%. And yet we are told we are in a crisis of epic proportions that requires radical change. After tax worker incomes also crashed under FDR and throughout World War II, what ended the Herbert Hoover FDR Great Depression was not the New Deal, but the dramatic harnessing of new production to fight World War II, which stimulated with bond growth and investment in plastics and investment in new technology, funded and made us an actual carrier of technology and advancements into the future. So war essentially flooded us with technology that would sustain us for the next hundred years. 
So FDR slashed non-defense spending by 22% between 1939 and 42. By 1944, pillars of the New Deal, such as Civilian Conservation Corps and the Work Projects Administration, those should sound familiar because Biden is now touting those as bringing those back or a form of them. That represented one-eighth of the federal budget. They were abolished. As for LBJ, even he expressed private regret in retirement over how some of his Great Society program had been captured by hucksters in incompetence. He also had always believed that the programs would be paid for by economic growth, not punishing taxes. Doris Kearns Goodwin has reported that when Johnson assumed the presidency in 1963, one of his first policy statements was, I'm going to get Kennedy's tax cut out of the Senate Finance Committee, and we're going to get this economy humming again. Does this all sound like Joe Biden? Folks, this is all on record. Go look it up. It's terrifying how Joe Biden is reaching to the analogs of history and bringing out old policies that didn't work during wartime, and he expects them to work during prosperous peacetime in the most peaceful time in our history in the last how many years? And this is going to work? Next, he's going to say we have to have air raid sirens and blackout rationing. Oh, the horror. LBJ succeeded his 1964 tax bill, cut federal income taxes by 20% across the board, and that turbocharged years of strong economic growth. Then overspending in the Vietnam War's overheating of the economy led to stagflation is interesting. If you don't know what stagflation is, look it up. It's a whole other show. Somehow, I think that even FDR and LBJ would caution President Biden that it's understandable for him to try to get into the history books, but not at risk of creating a fiscal Pearl Harbor or Vietnam for the country. The annals of our history are not necessarily traits with success when it comes to the economy. A lot of it was because, once again, the basis for any economic system and government is war. Amity Schles wasn't at the historians meeting at the White House last month, but if she had a chance to speak to Biden, she would note that when presidents reach for greatness, they do best when they apply it to American institutions and citizens, not presidential greatness or great government endeavors, which so often morph into folly. She wrote in The Hill, if more politicians, including presidents, uh, acquainted themselves with this evidence, the outcomes might be good, if not great. Instead, the country may well suffer in many ways if Biden succeeds in grasping for the fool's gold or what he perceives as individual greatness. This is the problem with Joe Biden. He doesn't have ill intent. He doesn't want to destroy America. He can't help it. His policies are bad. The left is being pushed even further left. There is a trend among millennials that everything should be free. They shouldn't have to pay for a house. It should be given to them. Rent? Everybody had a hard time during COVID. It should be forgiven. Any student debt, well, it wasn't their fault. It was their parents' fault. I can't find a job. Therefore, government has to step in. There is the, the, the scariest words ever said. Ronald Reagan said, hi, I'm with the government and I'm here to help. It's the truth. Government doesn't solve problems. It creates more problems. And Joe Biden's spending is absolutely One of the biggest things every single American should be flipped out about. Between him and Obama, they're going to spend $20 trillion out of the $32 trillion that we have in debt. Yes, Donald Trump spent some money because of COVID, but he also made money. He also put our economy on track. We had a growth that was over 4.2% and flattened out at about 3.2%. Those are historic numbers. Unemployment was at an all-time low before COVID, and it was bouncing back quickly. Blacks, Mexicans, women, Asian Americans, 
All of these were at all-time low for unemployment. Small businesses were thriving. We were actually exporting. We were energy independent. All of these things were not done by going into the annals of history and taking old bad policy and implementing them. This isn't a progressive ideal. These are socialist ideals that haven't worked. And although we spoke both sides of our mouth and said socialism was bad and so was communism, the United States government has flirted with both plenty of times in their social programs. There is a difference between having a fire department, which is paid for by the people and everyone collectively funds it, and being forced to pay for something that doesn't benefit anybody but the government and the small few elite. That is socialism versus social programs. Gun control. I've been talking about this for the last few weeks. There is an update on March 25th. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki confirmed Friday that President Joe Biden intends to sign executive orders instituting increased gun control. This is the first time they've openly said it. There was flirting. Oh, well, we'll get it pushed back. But first, we got to focus on the important thing. Build back better. And those are the words that they use. Well, all the gun control freaks didn't like that. And after the shooting shootings in Atlanta and also uh, at the Asian salons, we saw this massive outcry once again, as we all knew it would happen. Once COVID died down, mass shootings would take the forefront to bring back the gun control debate and to have with the House and the Senate under Joe Biden's control sweeping gun legislation, which let's face it, Democrats don't want to do. Conservatives don't want to tackle abortion. They never will. The only time they will go after abortion is if Democrats go after gun control. That's it. Those are two non-negotiables. No ponies will be traded for these. They might flirt with it. They may change some state rules or they may change some federal law on bans on bump stocks or high capacity magazines, but nobody's going to be banning guns. However, Saki said yes in response to a question on the subject during Friday's press briefing. I can't give you an exact time frame in part. What she's saying is after four years is up and Joe Biden's no longer running because they have to go through a review process, which is something that we do from here. She ever answer a question. U.S. President Joe Biden talks to reporters during his first news conference of his presidency in the East Room of the White House on March 25th in Washington, D.C. On the 64th day of his administration, Biden, 78, faced questions about the coronavirus pandemic, immigration, gun control and other subjects, which is brilliantly done by the Republicans who wanted to make sure that all those topics were focused and not the infrastructure bill. Biden said, I will note that when we or excuse me, Saki said, when the president was the vice president in the Obama-Biden administration, he helped put in place 23 executive orders to combat gun violence. Wow, that sure worked, right? We didn't have any gun violence under Obama. Wait a second. It's one of the levers that we can use that any federal government, any president can use to help address the prevalence of gun violence and address community safety around the country. Interesting. Biden hinted at enacting gun reforms through executive action at his press conference on Thursday, but he also stated that he needed to wait another minute. (laughs) He panders. He panders better than Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah, I got hot sauce in my purse. I put it on all the time. Absolutely. I ain't in no ways tired. Now you have Joe Biden. Man, it's been a minute. Oh, man, it's been a minute since I've seen my baby mama. Come on. Listen, black people have to be pissed at this. I mean, it's Joe Biden. He's whiter than Klan robes. How the hell is he talking like he understands anything that black people are going through in the United States today? 
I'm not even so bold. It's ridiculous. He says, wait another minute to first pursue other priorities, primarily his build back better (laughs) economic recovery package. The New York Times reported that gun control advocates felt betrayed by Biden's comments. Of course they did. How about the African-American community? Did they feel betrayed that some white guy's up there and he's culturally appropriating their language and their speak? Oh, wait. Outrage is only exclusive to Republicans. I get it. I'm sorry. I'm disappointed he has the nerve and audacity to say he's going to do things in sequential order, said Brady, United Against Gun Violence Vice President Maisha Fields. It's out of order to have to bury your child. It's out of order to be shopping for eggs and have your life disrupted. It most certainly is, and I agree. Gun control is messy, and I don't really sympathize at all with Joe Biden. He knew what he was getting into. Donald Trump would have had an incredibly difficult second term. Recovery to COVID, all it did was exacerbate the problems we already had and was going to make them bigger, which gun control is a huge topic. So is the USPS. So is balancing the budget. So is figuring out about China. So is the Middle East, so are oil prices. Everything was going to be exacerbated. We know this. Donald Trump was going to have a tough time in his second term. And I bet silently he's going, I can wait till 2024 and skip the next four years. It's almost like a time machine. But Biden is on the hook. And the problem is they have no idea what to do. They don't have a plan. They never did. The only thing they said was, we're going to take Trump's ideas and just step on the gas and do the exact same thing by throwing trillions of dollars at every problem that we have. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't solve any problem. It just increases more taxes. It just slows down middle business and middle class growth, which is what we will see. And then inflation will kick in, something like stagflation, which you should know about. Stagflation is when it is stagnant, when there should be inflation. Some things should be inflated. Interest rates should go a little bit higher sometimes to increase the dollar value. If you don't, the dollar value will hold less value on the world stage. There are times where inflation is a good thing, just like some debt and some credit is actually good for a business. And a cash-rich company like Apple was forced to take on debt because it was actually performing too well, which was a risk in itself. But this is the problem with liberal politics. They have a tax and spend, and it's always good for the first couple of years, and it garners more votes. But what will happen is people will see the drastic delineation between the strong economy and a horrible economy, a great world stage and a bad world stage, energy efficiency to energy inefficiency, to unemployment being at an all-time low, to unemployment becoming an all-time high. These are the natural trends in democratic policy. And Joe Biden is not bulletproof from this. In fact, he's not Teflon at all. He's going to absorb every single hit, and it will essentially make him a one-term president. And if his age doesn't get him, Kamala certainly will. Media bias. I'm really proud of this, and I I can't believe I'm going to say this. One D.C. Circuit jurist, judge, pulled no punches as he sounded the alarm on one-party control of the press and media. This was fantastic. Drink break. Sorry. The flack only gets heavy when you're over the target. This off-sighted World War II fighter pilot wisdom is the best way to understand the strident reaction to Judge Lawrence Silberman, the formidable senior jurist on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. As As a result of the dissent he filed in a recent libel case, in the course of controversial urging the Supreme Court to reconsider the foundation of its modern libel jurisprudence, 
New York Times versus Sullivan, 1964. Judge Silverman had the audacity to notice that the mainstream media function as an adjunct of the Democratic Party, basically a lawyer for the Democratic Party, a mouthpiece, a spokesperson for the Democratic Party. When this development is combined with the activists, progressivism of Silicon Valley techies who control social media platforms, the result, he concluded, is one party control of the press and media. This threat to a viable democracy is apt to lead to countervailing extremism. Hard to argue with that these days. Silberman's point was that without constitutional justification, the Supreme Court's judicially legislated federalization of libel law substantially enhanced the power of the press. New York Times versus Sullivan supplanted the traditional state common law of defamation with a rule. Suspiciously claimed to be mandated by the First Amendment that requires defamed public figures to prove actual malice. Remember why uh, Hillary Clinton got off with her 30,000 emails and breaking security laws, national security laws left and right that I would have been in Leavenworth? They said, I couldn't prove intent. Well, the same thing is with malice. You actually have to prove malice i.e. to prove that any libelous statements were intentionally false or made with reckless disregard for their falsity. This daunting burden makes it virtually impossible for public figures, including private persons who are transmogrified into celebrities by the Supreme Court's jurisprudence, to sue successfully, even in cases where they have been slandered with false information. This may not be a terrible result if the media were scrupulously nonpartisan. But once the media and other channels of information exchange becomes adjuncts of one political party, the court's standards creates an incentive to portray the opposition party in the worst possible light, knowing that many misimpressions thereby created and any reputational damage will not be actionable. More to the point, whatever one thinks of the policy choice that is better to encourage more reporting rather than accurate reporting, such choices are for legislators to make and not the courts. Here's the thing. I see all the time where people say, CNN, it's a liberal media station. How dare you listen to it? How can you watch it? Well, the same holds true to Fox News. But here's the difference. Is Fox News is outnumbered like by 96%. Every media station, newspaper, most websites are very heavily leaning liberal, if not Democrat, centrist Democrat leanings. We've got Fox News, and you got to give it to us. That's cable. But on the national stage, on free access, public TV, there are no Republican channels. Even PBS has gone the way of the dodo. Sesame Street is more woke than frickin' Pete Buttigieg. It's not balanced. And I'm not saying Fox News needs to be defended, but when you have a one-time, 100% one viewpoint on all channels simultaneously being pushed out to Americans to consume and regurgitate, that is propaganda. It's not fact. There needs to be opposition. And although Fox News definitely goes to the other side of the spectrum, I would rather have two opposing, opposing viewpoints to somehow maybe find the truth than just one being shoved down our throats. This is why there is a dichotomy between left and right in our country, where black and white no longer matter. It's really, what political party are you a part of? And then it breaks down into economic standing. Are you one of the haves or the have-nots? It's no longer about religion. It's no longer about the color of your skin. Are you a Trump supporter? You're a Nazi. Are you a Hillary Clinton supporter? You're a socialist Russian pig. That's where we're at today. And really, it's because of the media. 
I encourage everyone to turn it off. This is why my show brings out so much emotion in people, because the liberals who actually listen to me go, wow, it's kind of nice to have a Republican say some nice things about liberals. But then I say some nice things about Republicans and they don't want to watch my show anymore. The same holds true to the conservatives who go, wow, it's really nice to have somebody who does believe in some liberal things actually supports conservatives. But then I go ahead and I say something bad about conservatives and they jump ship faster than the Titanic and kick me off the door like Rose's fat ass that couldn't give a little bit of room to Jack so he didn't freeze to death. It comes down to this, folks. Open your mind. The left is not the enemy. Leftists are. And the right isn't the enemy. Alt-right is. I agree. Democrats are on the wrong side of history right now. But Republicans have been on the wrong side of history too. But this whole trope is that everyone you know is either good or bad is inaccurate. There's a lot of gray there. When you're focused on the bottom 2%, the people who are alt-right and leftists, those people don't represent the mass populace. You don't know anybody who doesn't want Dr. Seuss books on the table. You don't know anyone who wanted to ban Mr. Potato. None of us know anyone like that. There's nobody. But what happens is, is that this this dribble comes out from the news media and it brainwashes the masses. And then all of a sudden they tell you, you have to care about Mr. Potato Head. You have to care about wearing masks. You have to care about Islam. You have to care about Al Qaeda. You have to care about people coming over the border. And when you have someone telling you that this is law and this is the religion of the land, and this is the only thing you should care about, it winds up being the only thing you do care about. And that creates blinders. Folks, we have to look outside of this. We have to open up our mind. I challenge you to get both sides of the story. I challenge you to listen intently to everybody so you can smell a lie like a fart in a car. And when you do, you'll be informed and you'll make the best decision for you and your family. Otherwise, you are cannon fodder for the liberals or the conservatives. And both of those choices shouldn't be appealing to free citizens of the United States of America. Folks, that's it for my show tonight. Thank you for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, well, tough. It's my birthday. Throw me a like, follow, and share, please, right here on the little red envelope. I'm milking my birthday as much as I can. It would mean a great deal to me. And lastly, what we go out on, what we always go out on, the Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255-PRESS-1. Veterans are committing suicide every day, 22 a day. In fact, it's way too many. Post-traumatic stress and TBIs are a real thing and they need your help. Please reach out to a veteran, ask them what you can do, and make that call today. If you can't make this call from a phone, you can go to DonutFriendly.com, click on the link, and you'll be connected to a Skype operator immediately. Folks, if you could do me one more favor, go over to my website, DonutFriendly.com, click on the link, say hello, watch a podcast, watch a video, do whatever you will, but stop on by. Overall, folks, I appreciate you. Um, I hope you have a wonderful night. I will talk to you tomorrow for uh, episode 132. And for Petty Officer Second Class Peterson, uh, you will be missed. You are loved and Godspeed. Thank you, everybody. I will see you tomorrow.